What is happening, everybody? Welcome to Off the Rails, a recovery podcast dedicated to ending the stigma of addiction through open discussion on all things recovery related. My name is Mark, and with me today is Dave. And today we have a very special guest, and Dave's going to introduce her. Yeah, we're uh, real excited to have our next guest on here. She's uh, eight years sober. She co-hosts a podcast called Alcoholisms with her with her dad. Uh, they discuss their shared experiences of uh, being an alcoholic and um, a recovering alcoholic. And um, yeah, she's sharing her journey to help others. And um, I can say for myself that I've watched uh, I've watched a couple of the episodes and. A lot of great takeaways from them. So, so thank you very much. And please welcome Tara. Hi. <laughs> Tara, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Honestly, I think just like to start, like, I just think y'all's whole podcast, like the, the dynamic of it, like y'all met in rehab and I just think that's so cool. Like, I really love what y'all have going on here. I think it's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, so Tara, most times we just get into it and we, we get our guests to share their stories and, uh, we hope that through openly sharing stories, we can encourage people to get help and share stories of their own and kind of own, own their sobriety. Mm -hmm. So first off, you were just telling us you're originally from Texas. Yes. I'm originally from Texas. All right. Let's get started with that. Okay. So, um, well, you know, to start off, it's kind of funny. I, I'm not like, not, a, I'm not afraid to tell my story, but like, I found that I've had a lot of struggle in sharing my story because I'm not that I'm the only person to get sober young. Like you've had an episode, Jessica, um, what was her last name? She got sober when she was 18 and you know, it's not an uncommon thing to get sober so young, but I really, I got sober when I was 21, like in 2013. So I'm 30 now. And back then there really wasn't the social media, you know, outpouring of support and help like there is now. And so I really struggled with sharing my story for many years because I was so young when I got sober. And so I feel like my whole experience is riddled with people telling me that there's no way that I could possibly be an alcoholic or there's no way that, you know, I could have drank that much or done that much damage to my body. And I was exaggerating and, you know, just, I was making it up for a, I get like, you're seeking attention, like all the time, like, bro, like that's not a great way to get attention if you really want it. Um, <laughs> but to start off, I was born in Dallas. Um, I am the oldest of two, two other siblings, um, grew up with my mom, dad, all in one household. And then, Around the time I was like 11, 12, 13, I, mean, I think it was 13, they got divorced and it was like, obviously every divorce is like extremely traumatic and like really hard, but my parents like went hard in, you know, try, um, trying to, you know, they had a crazy custody battle. It like involved every single one of our family members, neighbors, friends. So by the end of it, it was, it's either team dad or team mom. And me and my dad always being so close, I was on team dad and my younger siblings were on team mom. So as soon as that happened, it was like my household was divided. And even though I was living with my mom, my mom won custody and I was living with my mom and my siblings. And 
I was on team dad. So that didn't really work out so well for me. So I was very isolated in the home. I didn't speak to anyone. They didn't speak to me. I was always to blame for, I, I got blamed for everything, everything that went wrong. And, um, around that time, I really, not that I knew that back then, but I was, I started to really struggle with depression and anxiety, had no idea what it was, but I just completely became reclusive and didn't care to have friends or didn't care to do anything. Um, I did hang out with people on occasion, but like friends really weren't my main thing. Like it really, like, I feel like I had always had a sense of like self-loathing. Like it was like, I was born with this sense of complete hatred of myself. And I didn't, I didn't really pick up on that until it was like team mom, team dad, until I was blamed for everything. And then like, once I was in trouble all the time, getting grounded all the time for no reason, I didn't have, like, I wasn't able to function normally, like a young adult teenager, preteen should, it was, it really started to reinforce in my head that I'm not worthy. I am, there's something wrong with me. I am not okay. My family, you know, is even reinforcing this to me. So there's obviously something really wrong with me. The first time I drank alcohol, that was my drug of choice. Um, the first time me and alcohol came together, it was like, and I know a lot of people talk about this as if this, like this spiritual thing where you come into contact with your drug of choice for the first time that, that was like that for me. Like I, it, alcohol was everything I wanted to be. It was everything I needed, like needed to be. It was, it was just everything. Like there's no other word. Alcohol was just everything, everything I was lacking, everything that I needed. It was that for me. So the first time I drank, I was 13. Um, didn't really drink hardcore until I was like 16, 17. But during the time from 13 to 16, I had anorexia. I had to go to the hospital because of it. I just had, I was just like riddled with mental disorders and just a very general unwellness, um, as I put it. And I started drinking really heavily when I turned 17. I barely went to school anymore. My dad actually had to come, come to the school and like beg my teachers and counselors not to fail me or not to hold me back or, and to let me graduate. I I ended up graduating early. Um, and as soon like the summer before my, I only did a half year for my senior year, the summer before my senior year, I drank and was on pills every single day. Like I thought, and I thought, you know, that this is a theme in my whole sobriety story. I thought I was just living the teenage life. That's what all teenagers do, right? We all go out and get, are we allowed to cuss on here? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> we all, we all go and get fucked up and, you know, it's just, it's, it's part of the, in America, I would say it's a very American experience of, you know, being a young person who is experimenting and like, even in college, like you're promised this like binge drinking phase, you know? So it's like, I was coming into being a young kid. That's what I thought it was. Um, but what I didn't know is that very first time I drank, I drank like an alcoholic. Like I, I I immediately got that pull sensation. Like it just, it took over my whole body. And I thought that's what drinking was, but it turns out it's, that's not what drinking is for normal people. Um, so around 17, I graduated high school early. I got out a semester early and 
enrolled in a community college and, you know, was planning on like getting the hell out of town. I didn't want to see any of those people, places or things anymore. Like I, um, my senior year, like my first day of senior year, I had literally no friends. I literally ate lunch in a bathroom stall by myself. Like I was just so disconnected from everything, everyone. And because I had previously like shut myself in and like a super codependent, super unhealthy relationship and missed out on my whole high school experience because of it. And so by the time senior year rolled around, I didn't know anyone, didn't have any friends. So then I ended up going to community college during the time that I was supposed to be doing my last part of my senior year of high school and ended up getting into a relationship with someone who had lived down the street from me my whole life. Um, and this person, I'll, I mean, like literally it's like who, who it's like, the guy who every parent warned you about, like, that's like, don't, you're not allowed to hang out with him. Like, oh, you're hanging out with that guy. Like, oh no, not my kids. So I ended up hanging out with him because he had dropped out of school for a bunch of reasons. And he had actually been to rehab and he had gotten out of rehab, didn't go back to high school. So he ended up going to community college. So, um, we were both at community college at the same time. And, you know, I thought I don't have any friends. Like, we'll hang out. This guy seems pretty sad. There's a lot of bad stuff happening in his life. Like we'll just hang out. Um, we got into a really abusive, bad, terrible relationship for two years. And I drank that entire period. Like I was not sober a single day. And, you know, it was, that was a really, I don't remember a lot of it, but from what I do remember, it was just incredibly unwell. Um, I went to rehab for the first time when I was 19, stayed sober for a couple months. And, um, after learning that one of my roommates had passed away in a drinking related car accident, I relapsed at his funeral. Ironically, you know, my friend dies because of drinking and then I'm sober and then I go and drink at his funeral. And, and then, um, I just spiral out of control from then. And I, you know, keep, I just keep getting worse and worse and worse. Like I was already really bad when I first went to rehab by this time, like I was just, I couldn't, I couldn't function anymore. And I, um, wrote a suicide letter. I remember like, I don't want to be triggering, but like I wrote a suicide letter and attempted it and, you know, woke up the next morning. Still good. Still here. And continued to drink. Um, but then around that time, my dad actually went to prison and I mean, like me and my dad are like best friends, right? Like we're, we're so close. We always have been. And so that was just like the most traumatic thing I've ever experienced. The day he went to prison was the day I actually moved in with my aunt and uncle. Um, I like moved to like three hours away. So I was getting out of my hometown. I was getting away from all these people, places and things that were terrible for me. And like, this was supposed to be, you know, my starting over point. And like in rehab, I had called myself an alcoholic and in the AA meetings that I had gone to after I had called myself an alcoholic and like knew that I was an alcoholic. But when I got to the town that I was living in, I was 20 years old. I was, I was living in like a very, like, do you know what Texas A&M is like? college station. So I was living in college station and I was surrounded by college kids. And so when I put myself in that situation, I was like, Hey, I did go to rehab. I did call myself an alcoholic, but you know what? I'm young. Like, this is just a phase. Like, and I was able to convince myself that, you know, it was just a party phase and I was young and whatever. 
And, you know, I had even had like people in my life, like family, friends at the time say like, no, like you're not an alcoholic. Like you're just really young. This is just what young people do. It's totally fine. Totally normal. And so from there, I started working at a bar and then I got into another relationship with basically like the same kind of person. He was also on probate, like my other ex was on probation. He was on probation and like, it was like the same person all over again and drank and drank and drank. And I hit my 21st birthday. There's like gaps of time. I don't remember. I became very mentally unhinged. I became very abusive towards everyone. Yeah. So I was just like completely unwell. And by the time, like I was, I turned 21 in April and by the time summer had like fully rolled around, I was like actually mentally unhinged. Like I was in the middle of a real psychotic break. I was like screaming at nothing and no one all hours of the day and night. Just like I was blacked out as soon as I woke up, like I immediately went to the liquor store and bought a 30 pack. I think I was drinking like a 30 pack every night uh, or something around there. And I was just, and, and my intention was to drink myself to death because I had um, a family member who I was extremely, extremely close to during that time who was passing away of cancer. My dad was in prison. I couldn't stop drinking. And it was, my life was just coming to this like crescendo in the most negative way. And I just, there was no hope. Like life was always going to be like this. Like I was always going to be this way. I couldn't stop drinking, you know, all the stuff that had been told to me when I was young, like it was all true. I was a piece of shit. Like I like, look, look, like I was like, look at who I am. Look at who I've become. Like I was supposed to go to college. I was supposed to meet someone, get married. I was supposed to like live this very normal life. But here I am 21 dropped out of basically high school, college, can't hold a job. Don't have any friends again. And basically tried to take my life for the second time. Um, didn't work. So I woke up the next morning, started drinking and I don't know, you know, it's funny. I don't know what came over me, but I was just like, you know what? I want to try one more time. Like, I was like, life can't be like this. This is, this can't be it for me. This cannot be it for me. So I got super drunk and called like 10 people in my phone, like family, friends, anyone who would pick up at the time. And told them, like, if someone doesn't come here, I will not be here, like, within the next week. I need help. I can't stop drinking. I can't live. I can't do anything. So um, I had family come over the next day. And I was moved out of the house that I was living in and moved back in with some family and enrolled in a rehab center. I was supposed to go to like an inpatient rehab center, but again, like the, the someone I was really close to was in hospice and I didn't want to be away while they passed away. And like, while that whole thing was happening, cause it was like very imminent at the time. So I ended up going to an outpatient program for like four to six weeks. They kept me, I actually have my papers. I found them a while ago and they wouldn't release me because I was being very difficult, very, you know, resistant to treatment. And, um, I had a very high relapse, uh, percentage. Like they rated me as someone who would like probably go out and relapse just because of how 
like unwell I was while I was in treatment and prove them wrong. Ended up going all the way and I'm eight years sober now and have basically lived my whole twenties without a drop of alcohol. So yeah, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. It was an amazing job. <laughs> yeah, you killed that. Thank um, you. <laughs> I have I have several questions. Oh, goody, but goody, uh, goody. I was not jumping in. You did such a great job. So you mentioned that like negative self-talk and mm. how are you able to like kind of come over that and I guess like start talking to yourself in a more positive manner? So, you know, that's a really, there's not a simple answer to that question. Mm. You know, um, I would say that, you know, it started after I got sober and I knew like I was 21 at the time and I knew that if I wanted to continue to live, cause like I knew if I drank again, like I would die. Like, and I still believe that to this day, like I will go right back there. Yeah. Um, when I first got sober, I realized like if, if someone lives to a hundred, like people usually say, Oh, you live to a hundred. If I'm, if I'm supposed to live to a hundred, I have 80 years that I'm supposed to be on this planet mm-hmm. and I can either, you know, wallow and not wallow, but like just be absorbed in all of this terrible stigma that I'm living in and that other people have put on me. Like I can either live in all of that or I can own it and accept it and just like be who I am and who I am, even though everyone's telling me I'm not is Tara an alcoholic at 21 years old. And I have been, you know, my whole life, I just didn't know until I started drinking. Um, So what I did is I actually wrote out, um, it's kind of started in rehab. They would tell us to do like journal entries and whatever. And so when I got out of rehab, I was, I started writing like who I was and what I had done, all of the things that I perceived as shortcomings, all of, you know, everything about myself, everything I had done, every terrible deed that I had done, everything that I had said everyone that I had hurt, like I literally wrote it all out and it turned into a a memoir, which I have in a drawer somewhere. I haven't done anything with it yet. Um, but I just ended up writing everything about myself that I thought was bad and terrible. And that was the starting point. So I had this thing and it was really cathartic to like get it out. And so it was no longer in me. It was something that I had like put out into the world and like, this is who I am. This is me. Um, and through a lot of therapy, through a lot of, you know, self-discovery through a lot of, you know, work, so much work, I have come to accept who I am as a human being. And I have learned that like, I am nothing to be ashamed about. Neither is anyone else on this planet. Like what, there's 7 billion of us and we're all kind of taught from a very young age to conform and to be a certain way and to look a certain way and to do certain things with life and go on a certain path. And I realized that that conformity was killing me. Like I'm not what... I don't enjoy what the average, you know, life looks like. So, um, I basically had to like, learn to break away and to really follow my own path. And like, again, through so much self-discovery, I have like basically curated and I guess created a life where 
I am truly happy and where I truly thrive. And that doesn't come without a lot of sacrifice because, you know, sometimes you hurt people you love or like, like, you know, they have, people have expectations, family has expectations, but you know, for me, I had to battle through all of that in order to like find a way for me to be okay and feel okay. And I've discovered that like, once I was in a place that I was really happy with, then a lot of that self-talk was, you know, the outside world telling me like what to be, what not to be and what is okay and what is not okay. And once I, you know, cleared myself of that, I realized, wow, like my life is really good. I've surrounded myself with people who accept me for exactly who I am. And yeah, so that really helped a lot with that. But again, like it's, it's years and years of work that I just, you know, put into like a little, a little sentence, but yeah. That's an incredible answer. Um, That's I awesome. Find, yeah. I find uh, <laughs> like at the peak of my addiction, the negative self-talk was just like, is just insane to the point where yeah. you hate, like I hated myself. Right. So I find, you know, I love asking people the best tools that they have for, for kind of overcoming that. So thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. I had a quick question for you and kind of growing up and, um, you know, your father being an alcoholic, was that ever discussed or how much of it did you see? I know you said, uh, your parents separated, was it ever kind of warned to you about the drinking or. Yeah. So I just remember growing up knowing my dad was an alcoholic and my dad and I are like very similar in a lot of ways, but we're also very different. Like my dad was not a daily drinker. I've maybe seen him actually drunk, like less than seven times in my entire life. Um, but he did the majority of his like binge drinking when he was really young and just like took a many into his like fifties or like forties, fifties to realize, you know, that he knew he was an alcoholic for a super long time, but it took him a really long time to actually stop during my parents' divorce. I remember he drank not a lot, but like, I remember nights when I would call him and he wouldn't sound normal. Um, so I think he did a lot of drinking, like while me and the kids, or my, my, I call them the kids, my siblings weren't around. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I grew up knowing that, knowing that he was an alcoholic, I didn't see it often, but, um, yeah, we've, we've always openly discussed it. We, I've always known what it is. I've always known what it looked like for him. So yeah, I mean, alcoholism, not that the drinking was a part of daily life, but like, you know, going to like functions as kids, he would be like the one not drinking. And that was explained to me like, oh, your dad's an alcoholic. Like, I don't, I don't drink. I don't do well with alcohol. And I was like, okay, whatever. Like I just accepted that when I was young and then um, figured out much more in depth what that meant later on in life. Harry, you mentioned, um, you know, how you, you could like chose recovery at a young age and people were like, you know, you're not, you're not an alcoholic at 21 or mm. so on. Um, did you find there was a difference between how people would approach you coming out and saying you're an alcoholic, say someone who is in recovery compared to like someone who doesn't under really understand substance abuse? Cause I know uh, we went to a rehab center and there was a 21 year old there and he's a great kid. And like, we, we were all just like super supportive of him, you know, for like making that choice. And like, it's really tough to do at that age because, you know, like drinking is, is so common. 
Um, mm-hmm. But all of us were just super proud of them because like, it's amazing to recognize at that age, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, did you find there was a difference between like uh, how people reacted? Honestly, the first, one of the first, like I had gotten a lot of like, oh, you're not before, but one of the first ones that really stick out to me in my mind was someone I was in rehab with telling me that I wasn't an alcoholic Oh, or, like making a comment that I wasn't, or like, what did they say? They, they said something along the lines of like, I, I think your parents just sent you here because you've had like one too many margaritas on the weekend or something. Oh, wow. And like, this is after I had my, my turned my life into a, a train wreck and to hear, you know, that in rehab was like, my brain was trying to use that as an excuse. Like, yeah, he's so right. Like, you're not an alcoholic, go back out there and drink. Like you totally got this. Um, but later on he, you know, did say to me like, wow, after listening to your stories, I relate to you so much. And I totally agree. Like, yeah, you're for sure an alcoholic. And I was like, well, yeah, I know that. Thanks for, thanks for that though. Um, but so, I mean, I've got, I've gotten it from literally all kinds of people. And I don't like, it's weird because I don't know if it's like a male versus female issue, but like, like that you were in rehab with like a 21 year old guy. Right. And like, for some reason, if men say like, Oh, I'm an alcoholic, people think of it as like a very, I mean, what do you think when you think of an alcoholic, right? You think of like an old toothless man living under a bridge who's lost his friends, family job, like everything. So they have this stigma in their head of like what that looks like. And so when a younger version of that says, that's what I am, then they're like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you probably have a problem. But like, I've noticed that, you know, as a woman in recovery and, you know, a lot of women that I also speak to also have had people say like, Oh, I've drank more than you've spilled or like, you know, just that kind of talk. So it's a very interesting phenomenon that goes really, on so yeah it really yeah. is we've had that uh, said to us a couple times with like the women that we've had on mm-hmm. and how it's almost like it's might be harder to admit that you have an alcohol issue as a woman right yeah and I don't know I don't know why that is like I don't know why people think gender has anything to do with the chemical substance you put in your body like an x or a y isn't going to stop something like a chemical reaction from happening in your body it just doesn't make a well, little that doesn't make any sense to me because I've lived it and like, I understand it, but you know, I get the stigma and you know, that, well, that's one of the reasons I'm so vocal about, you know, everything that I've been through is because I know there's a lot of young women who are going through the abuse cycles and they're getting worse and worse. And society is telling them that, oh, they just get that drunk because they're a woman and it affects them differently, or they're a lightweight or, you know, they have to evolve into this like mommy wine culture thing and you know that's just not how you have to live i just wanted to touch back on the on the getting sober at a young on the young age and uh, i find that surprising though you'd have someone i mean i know everyone's a little bit different someone say that to you because you know for myself i'm almost i'm going to be sneaking up to 40 here and um you know i just look at anyone that's younger than me like mark's 10 years younger than me i mean we had someone rehab that was 21 and i just look back and think, man, I wish I would have, you know, gotten, gotten right at a young age. I just kept, you know, started hanging out with different people. Like once my friends got older and matured and like moved on from the drinking, I never did. And I just found a different group of people. Right. And um, mm-hmm. so I just think it's awesome. But my, I, I was curious if like with your platform, have you had, you know, young people reach out to you? Um, I think it'd be a good voice mm-hmm. for them. 
Yeah. Yeah. On TikTok more so like I'm just starting out, like me and my dad just started this podcast like two months ago and I'm just starting out on Instagram, but I've had a TikTok account since last summer. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me, women specifically saying like, wow, I relate to this so much. And I didn't even think anything of it until, you know, seeing it in this format. And, you know, it's so funny because like a lot of what I say is just so normalized into drinking culture that people think alcohol abuse is just what you should do. Like, it's just something that you eventually grow up and do. And like, we shouldn't be doing that. Like we shouldn't be abusing this drug from, you know, the minute that we turn into preteens, teenagers. And I mean, just the fact that people look at the cycle of alcohol abuse and think like, oh, it's just, that's just my weekend. Or like, that's just my Tuesday. That's so alarming to me. And I mean, but but what do you do? Like, I mean, I've, I've said this before and like, it's really not to go like too extreme or anything, but I really feel like we're fed this cycle of propaganda, very similar to what, you know, tobacco was like a very long time ago. And like, you know, doctors are saying it's good for you. Doc physicians recommend this brand. And I mean, look at what's happening. Like you see like the benefits of red wine, the benefits of potato vodka, the benefits of this and that alcohol doesn't benefit your body in any way, shape or form. Like it's a very dangerous carcinogenic addictive substance and it's being sold to us and pushed to us as if it's just a cup of coffee on like a Monday morning. And you know, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point too. And what's kind of scary I've noticed is how much gambling commercials and stuff are going on now too. It's almost like they're you like, you notice those recently tra- transitioning to like another addictive thing. It's like, okay, maybe, I don't know, maybe young people aren't drinking as much nowadays. And it's like, I mean, I think they are, but you know what I mean? Now they're transitioning to like, let's get them hooked on gambling. Literally. I have a friend who just went to rehab for like pills and for gambling. And I have ever since he said that I have noticed how many ads I get, how many commercials there are for gambling and for gambling websites and for gambling apps, especially like in Ontario where we are now, like they've just come out with like this whole app system. of you know that's just very appalling to me but I totally agree it's like they're transitioning because people are kind of I feel like people are kind of waking up about alcohol and they're really understanding like what they're putting in their bodies um and yeah I guess they're just moving on to the next thing very true you would think that something that harms so many people would not be allowed to be advertised yeah like cigarettes aren't allowed to be advertised like in Canada it's crazy because you actually have like full-on covers over them like you literally can't uh, maybe americans don't know this but in canada when you go to a convenience store like you know how like in a 7-eleven the whole back wall is cigarettes and you see all the brands everything in canada it's not like that so there's like literally like a board or like things covering it up so you literally can't see any cigarettes at all and the cigarette boxes themselves have huge warnings on them like with photos and they're super proactive about that, which is great. Um, not so that doesn't happen so much in America, but I mean, alcohol is just as bad. <laughs> like alcohol, like commonly causes like seven types of cancer or like cancer within seven different organs of your body. And no one talks about that. No one knows about that. And you know, the whole 
what breast cancer awareness month and everything turns pink and there's all these pink wines and pink drinks to promote, you know, cancer awareness when you're literally drinking. I think it's like, if you have, I'm not sure on the statistic about this, it's something like this. If you have like one to three drinks a week, your chances of getting cancer are like three to five times higher for women for like breast cancer. And so like, we're promoting (laughs) this, uh, breast cancer awareness, but we're really drinking something that is giving people breast cancer, like on a daily basis. So, but I get it. Like these companies make trillions of billions or like whatever of dollars promoting this product. And, you know, it's the legal drug that we can have. And people think it's an innocent, like, I mean, it comes in like a little cup, right? Like when people think of drugs, they think of like heroin or something you inject and like, it's stigmatized as being dirty. But like when you drink alcohol, it comes in a cute little bottle with like flowers on it or like a very nice little advertisement. And you don't feel like you're doing a drug, but you are, you're doing drugs. Like you are a drug user if you use alcohol, but it's not said in that way or there's no stigma around that. Once you got uh, through rehab the second time, Mm -hmm. um, where did that take you after that? When when did you move into, uh, move to Ontario and, and maybe meet your, uh, your hobby? Um, So I was very mentally unstable after I got sober. Like I became extremely agoraphobic. I had like very intense, crazy paranoia, like OCD kind of stuff. And I literally couldn't function. Like I didn't leave the house for eight months. Like I was in my room for eight months. I didn't brush my teeth. I didn't get out of bed. I would take a shower like once a week. Like it's gross, but like, it's like literally what happens after you've like, you know, abused your body and your mind so intensely for so long. And I was just not, I wasn't really a human being anymore. Like, and it took a really long time to like start moving out of that. So like a year and a half to two years after I had got sober, it was really bad for like a year and a half and it continued being bad, but I actually got on to Twitch, which is like the video gaming platform where like you live stream video games. And I started live streaming because it was the only thing that I could do. It was from the comfort of my own room. I didn't have to see anyone or leave or do anything. And I started live streaming and I ended up meeting my husband on there and we formed like an online relationship, which was again, easy for me because I was I having panic attacks every 10 minutes. I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't drive. I had no hygiene, had like, there was nothing about me that was like functioning. So I could hide and like pretend a lot of this wasn't happening. Like I I could be like a normal person, like in the online space and like no one would know. So we started dating like online and then he came to visit me and we decided like, Hey, this works. There's chemistry online. There's chemistry in real life. And then we, you know, he came to visit, um, for a month, um, when I was in Texas and he started noticing some things about me that weren't quite so normal. And I remember one day he just like looked me straight in the eyes and he was like, do you have OCD? And I was like, I can't even tell you how happy I am that you asked me that question. And I just like literally like dumped on him everything that was mentally wrong with me. And I literally found the best person in the world because like some of the stuff that I was doing was like certifiable. Like I should, I 
sh- I should have gone to a mental hospital during this time, but I just refused. I was too scared. I didn't want to do it. And he looked at me and he was like, okay, how do we solve this? Like, how do we move forward? So I was just so incredibly lucky to find someone who was willing to take literally all of my baggage, not only from drinking and the life that I had before, but also now all of these new mental disabilities and dysfunctions that I had because of my drinking. Like I don't have physical scarring. Like I didn't have, I, I never got arrested. I don't, I never, you know, I didn't have a lot of the bad stuff happen to me. Like I'm like, I'm very, I had no, I had a lot of repercussions, but like none in like that kind of way, all my scarring was mental. And so now I had to figure out how to turn back into, you know, a human being again, after being so sick for so long. And so we eventually, um, figured out a plan that he was going to come to Texas and live for six months. And then I was going to go to Canada and live for six months just so we could find, we could have like, um, the requirements for common law. So I could like move here eventually. And yeah, I stayed here for six months. We thought about going back to the States, but then we ended up staying in Canada and have been here for like seven, six years now, six, six years now. So that's how I ended up here. <laughs> Amazing. The, important, the big, important question though, who, who was the better gamer back then? him and still always (laughs) always like you know it's funny like this is so off topic but like you know a lot of people play video games he was born to play video games like he is he is just like he can pick up any game and like get a high score and it's just like the most insane thing you've ever seen he just has like this that's his magical power in life is like literally playing video games so he's doing the perfect thing for his life right now perfect tara how important as being sober been on like working on your mental health I wouldn't have mental health if I were not sober like period um like I had a lot like and I didn't again like I said I didn't know this because I didn't understand mental health when I was in like elementary school and middle school but I had pretty severe OCD like growing up and it just manifested itself in very like innocent little ways and I didn't even realize it was happening always had anxiety, always had depression, always struggled with like eating disorders and that kind of stuff. And the alcohol only made it a a million times worse. So again, like by the time I got sober, my brain was so fucked up from like, cause I had done a drug for many, many, many years in a row. And my brain chemistry was all off my hormone and like I had a hormone imbalance, like every, every aspect of my body was completely thrown off and you can't even begin to make progress for mental health. If you're constantly injecting yourself with something that's heightening all of these things and making all of these things a thousand times worse, like on a daily basis. So I, I've lit, I would not be here if it were, if I had not gotten sober and I am like, I'm alcohol free. I've been, I've not, I haven't relapsed since, you know, the time I started and, but I've had a lot of like mental relapses with like my OCD and my, you know, all like my spectrum of mental health things that I've had to deal with since. Um, I've had hard times with that but it was because I was sober that I was able to like see what was happening 
and like, and then take immediate action. And if not immediate, like I would tell someone about it, tell my husband about it. And then we move forward together. So I, yeah, there's for me personally, there's just no mental health without sobriety, like at what whatsoever. Absolutely. When you reflect now, do you think you were using kind of to like, uh, try to help yourself with your mental health, but in, Not, in, like, in like retrospect, it hurts it. I, but, uh, mm-hmm. so I feel like looking back, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess. Yeah. Because all of that self-hatred, all of that negative talk, all of that, that was all mental health. Cause like, if you're chemically balanced in your brain, you're not having thoughts like that. You're not having, you know, suicidal ideation and you're not thinking like all of these terrible, horrible things about yourself that aren't real. You don't have these cycling things like if like in a normal, healthy brain that doesn't happen. So when I drank alcohol, one, I have genetic alcohol, what I believe to be genetic alcoholism. Like it runs in both sides of my family. Um, a very, a lot of people have it in my family. Um, so I was just kind of fucked from the go. Cause like I, there, I, I could not have escaped it either way, but it definitely was a huge crutch for me and feeling like I was worthy and like I was something because when I was drinking alcohol, it felt like people weren't laughing at me anymore. And I was bullied, like, like you would not believe in school. And like, honestly, it's funny. I still have a lot of self-doubt and stuff that I deal with because of like how intensely I was bullied when I was growing up. And I still deal with that today. Um, but I wouldn't have what I have now if it, you know, weren't for being sober. If, and, uh, when you guys decide to, to have children is the genetic component, uh, part of the conversation you'll have one day, I'm not going to ask like what age or anything like that, but are you going to share that, that part of it? This is a great question. Cause honestly, I have this conversation with my husband all the time, like, and he has alcoholism in his family as well. So I flat out tell him, I'm like, I'm really scared to have kids because I like, not that I don't want to, I don't want them to have to go through that. I mean, like I made it through and a lot of people do make it through, but a lot of people don't. And that's, you know, something that we don't struggle with, but like, we definitely go back and forth on because it is genetic for me. And he doesn't, he's like the, the complete opposite of an alcoholic. Like he takes one sip of alcohol and he's like, no, 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 it's too much for me. Like, I can't like, I'm, I'm buzzed, like I'm done. And so it's so opposite for him, but and honestly, we, we haven't come to a conclusion. Like, I don't know, like, obviously I'm not, I'm not even sure I want to have kids to begin with, but I'm back and forth on that a lot. But if I, we were to have kids, that's a like number one concern for me because it does happen on both sides of our family and it's very prevalent in my family and I don't know how to prepare for that you know like how and even like growing up with alcohol in the house like he Phil my husband's name is Phil Phil drinks on occasion very rarely but he does drink on occasion there's no alcohol in the house ever that's like a rule that we have like there's there's no point in having alcohol here he doesn't care about alcohol anyway so um 
how do we talk to our kids about alcoholism and alcohol? Like how open do I be about like everything that's happened to me? How do, like when, when is the right time to, to dump that on them and to set that expectation in their mind that, oh, there might be something wrong with me and, you know, them not wanting something to be wrong with them. So will that make them rebel even more or will that make them more open? So it's just like, we literally have this conversation all the time because I don't know what to do about it. I don't, I mean, I should probably talk to a professional who could give me like some sort of concrete answer, but it's a very scary thing for me that I think about a lot because the reality is being that it runs in both sides of our family. There's absolutely a chance that our kids could, you know, be born with this too. And if not, you know, you don't have to be born with it. You can also drink your way into it. Maybe they're more susceptible to that. So I don't know. That's a great, it's really a good question. And I don't have any sort of concrete answer for that because it's really confusing. So I think that's well said. And I didn't mean to pry too much into like personal no, not at all. decisions I'm such or an, anything. I'm such here. an open book about literally everything. Like, okay. so totally good. Yeah, so you moved to Toronto or Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How did you get involved with your podcast and kind of owning your sobriety on Instagram? So I have, uh, so I told you, like I wrote that memoir years and years ago, haven't done anything with it. And I've always wanted to publish that thing, but I've just, I've, I've, I've had it professionally edited and I've always wanted to move forward in that way with my sobriety. And I thought that I would have done it a lot sooner, but writing a book is really hard. Um, and I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. So I refuse to put it out into the world until it's like exactly what I want. And once I've made it into exactly what I want, then I decide this is not at all what I want. So I've had a lot of phases of like completely changing the structure and, you know, so that's a whole mess. So that's what I originally started with. I started streaming on Twitch and I was very open about my recovery. And I actually started a YouTube channel about sobriety in particular. And I put out one video and it was, I was like 24 at the time. It was years ago. I was only like three years sober, or maybe I was two years sober. I don't remember, but I was like, I'm Tara. I'm an alcoholic. I'm 24 years old. I got sober when I was 21 and told my story basically. And every comment on there was people, someone called me a charlatan. Like they're like, Oh, you're looking for attention. Someone said you shouldn't share your story because it's offensive to other alcoholics and it's dangerous to share your story. Like I I literally screenshotted these comments so I could use them like one day is like fuel, for like what I wanted to do. But at the time my mental health was like not well enough to deal with it. So I deleted the channel and like was, have been very closed off about my alcoholism ever since. And it was only like kind of in recent years where like I decided that I really wanted to deep like dive back into it again. And I have been begging my dad for like a year, like months. My dad is very anti-internet. This is the furthest he's ever gone on the internet. He like, I, I had to physically put an iPhone in his hand and be like, this is yours now. You have to join the world. Um, so I finally convinced him after so long to do a podcast with me. 
and he didn't think anyone would listen to it. He thought like, oh, whatever, you know, this is like a bad idea, not a bad idea, but he's like, this isn't ever going to go anywhere, but sure. I'll do it with you. Like you won't stop asking me. So to shut you up, I'm going to say yes. So we started it about two months ago and it's done so well recently that my dad has been like, this could actually be a thing. This is, this could actually go somewhere. And I was like, yeah, dad, like, of course. And like, I, I've said this before, my dad's my best friend. And like everything that man says is just like pure wisdom. And like, maybe it's just me. Cause like, that's my dad. But like, I grew up talking to him about alcoholism. He is the person I go to. And every time I'm feeling like off about something, he always has the perfect thing to say to me. And like, not just for me, he's like that for everyone in his life. Like my people, everyone in my family calls my dad for advice. He's just that charismatic, caring person. And I just wanted so badly to share that with the world because I feel like I'm hoarding this invaluable resource that is him. And I just so badly wanted to be able to share that with the world because I am sober big, like a a big part of it is because I had someone as understanding as him growing up. And yeah, I just thought it was so important to keep talking about alcoholism and I'm so much better mentally than I ever have been in my life. So I'm able to deal with, you know, the hateful, mean bullying kind of comments and whatever. So I'm in a better place. I'm feeling really good. Me and my dad have a mission. uh, Yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of that. Do you, sorry, Dave, go ahead. No, I was just going to, I was just going to pump her up a bit. I I think you guys have just a great, uh, great chemistry, obviously son and daughter, but um, a great, great dynamic and, you know, different generations. You can kind of, bring to the table and experiences and, and, uh, I don't know, I've, I've really enjoyed what I've listened to so far. So thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, we will. will. You guys get into some good, some good topics that we try to, we do one where we do shoot the sober shit and, Mm -hmm. um, but we always get off track and like you guys very are very good at <laughs> on See, that's the topics. thing where we want to do more of that kind of thing but like i'm afraid that it will just like we will we won't even end up talking about sobriety at the end of it you know it'll just go into something else so we've always tried to be like really structured with like this is what we're going to talk about and like that's exactly what we talk about but i know i i've watched the the, the sss i'll call it i've uh i've really enjoyed those so that's something that I definitely want to try out. I think it's really a cool dynamic. Well, you and your dad are welcome to join us on a shoot and sober shit anytime. That would yeah. be so fun. Oh, I would really blast. like that. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. Um, Dave, do we have any more questions for Tara? Um, I had some on my laptop over there, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I got out the ones I, I really wanted to ask. And um, but uh, yeah. No, I appreciate you coming on and that would be super cool to have you guys on and um, yeah, please do. Yeah, that would be so, like I'm actually super down. So that would be really fun to just send me some info and then we can line that up if you want. Sounds awesome. Um, Tara, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your story. Um, I think it's amazing that you share your story and I think it's very helpful for so many people. So thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And uh, guys, if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please reach out and ask for help. Thanks for listening. Bye.